Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're not going back. We're not going back. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It is the love chapter. Not a wedding uh, goes by that I don't read the entire uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, because of it being the love chapter. And so today we're going to look at it from an entirely different perspective. I'll never read it at a wedding again. No, just kidding. It it works. It's applicable. Uh, But uh, I think that we're going to see some things today. Uh, and, and always, we always see things like this when it comes to reading scripture in its context. When we've read now all of 1 Corinthians and we've preached through all of 1 Corinthians uh, up to chapter 13, we now see it in light of its context. How many of you see that? How many of you see that you've begun to look at these passages a little different since looking at them with the whole? Yeah. Did anybody see that? Three of you, God bless you. And, and for those three, uh, what I'm trying to encourage here is that when you read the Bible in its context, you can do that in your own Bible study. It comes alive. It becomes real. You understand it. You, you can apply it. And, and it, is, uh, it is something uh, that is unlike anything else. It's an experience, an immersible experience because the word of God is alive and it is quick. It is powerful. It cuts Uh, Man, we don't need, folks are taking away from the word of God. We just need to leave it alone. Just let it stand on its own. Uh, And I'm not talking about a a version issue, like which version. I mean just the words of God. Leave them alone. Let them be. And and they are all we need. Well, that doesn't fit with the culture. That doesn't, what, we're going to talk about love today. The title of today's message is, What's Love Got to Do With It? For some of you, you want to know, what's love got to do with it? Yeah, uh, that's a good song. That's right. Uh, back when music was good, y'all kids don't know nothing about that. I'm an old soul. Come on, man. I don't know what this, I went to the pool yesterday. I had a few men text me, hey, you know, where are you? God bless you if you're here. Don't be embarrassed. You know, I'm like, uh, it's a church full of women. I'm not going to be anywhere near the church. <laughs> I'll show up at the end, but that's about, anyway. Uh, so anyway, I took my son, and we went down to the pool, and we jumped in, and they were playing this mix over the pool speakers. Uh, it's like a community pool there where we live. And I was like, what is this trash? <laughs> Man, put some oldies on. You know what I'm saying? Oldie but goodie. So anyway, what's love got to do with it? What, what, is, what is love? And the title's perfect in the sense that it seems as though this chapter is nestled into talking about the Holy Spirit, to talking about the giftings, to talking about prophecy, to talking about the knowledge that the Spirit of God can give, the gifting of tongues and all of these things that you guys are just anxious to sink your teeth into. I can see it on your faces. Uh, but then we have this chapter that seems almost like it doesn't have anything to do with anything else, but it couldn't be any further from the truth. He has, uh, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has a purpose for this chapter to be nestled in uh, to this place. And we're going to figure out what that purpose is. Let's start off by reading uh, this whole chapter. I think it's necessary. And we're going to move through Scripture a little bit more today. 
uh, but I think we can do it uh, with some fluidity because you know what the topic today is about. What's the sermon about today? Does anyone know? Love. What's love got to do with it? The sermon is about love today. What's the sermon about? It's about love. So when I move to another passage quickly, uh, you automatically know we have a framework that we're talking about love. So we're going to bounce around a little bit, but we're going to find why Paul is doing this, why he is putting this chapter here and putting it into play, uh, and then we need to figure this out. Because honestly, even in Bethlehem's creed, we lead with what? We lead with love. We talk about this a lot at our church. Uh, there's, there's a sense in modern day church that we just need to what? Love everybody. But you get the feeling when we love everybody the way that they say we should love everyone that we're compromising. Does anybody else get that feeling? Sometimes when we love everyone, we're not necessarily loving them the right way. So, so we really need to understand this. Sometimes in, in relationships, with parents to children or with parents with, the, with each other, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to love them as best as I can. I'm just trying to get out of the way and just make sure that they know that they're loved. Sometimes we use love as an excuse, don't we? So why would Paul bring this topic up right here? And, and mind you, chapter 12 through chapter 14 is about the Holy Spirit. This is about the giftings and how the Holy Spirit of God works in the church. So let's, let's just get to it, you ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number one. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And every wife says, well, my husband sounds like that anyway, and he ain't speaking no angelic language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mr. Dave, good to see you. How you been? Did you have a good week? Good, amen. If I speak with human or angelic tongues, just, just for kicks and giggles here, because we're going to get into it next week, but doesn't that send up flags and clues for some of you that come from a Baptist background? Does that not throw up flag? Okay, I'm just checking. Verse number two, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can what? Move mountains, but do not have love, what are the next three words? That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? I ran out of the house this morning and I grabbed a Christmas mug, (laughs) crushing it. See it? Anyway, the nutcracker. It says, I am nothing. Look at verse number three. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In King James, it says, no, I give my body to to be burned. Right? And there's, there's uh, a little bit of discrepancy there on, on the text as far as if that's exactly what it's saying. But Paul is pulling this in here. The point is, is boasting. If I do all of these things and give my possessions, even my body over, if, even if, if you go with King James translation, even if I'm martyred, some of us, like we would think of that as being like the zenith of spirituality, the folks that have died for their faith. But Paul says, if you do it without love, it's nothing. Verse four, love is patient, love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude. It's not self-seeking, it's not irritable, and does not keep record of wrongdoings. And at this point, 
all of the husbands should just get up and leave their marriages because you don't love your wife. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't leave your, don't leave your wife. But you're like looking at this going, that's pretty much all I do. Sorry, babe. I know I said I love you, but my love's not quite there. This is difficult if we're honest, isn't it? Y'all are like, no. Okay, if we're honest, I said, this is difficult. Y'all know you got your little book, your little, you call it a calendar that you're carrying around in your purse, but it's really every time he does something contrary to what you think he should be doing. You're keeping a record of it, right? You write it down. I know you do it. Love finds, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. Ooh. Love finds no joy, verse six, in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the what? The truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's key. That's key to the context. Love never what? It never ends. Now watch this. Here's where he pulls in the context of what we've been talking about. But as for prophecies, they will come to a what? End. As for tongues, they will what? Cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For now we know in part, and we prophesy in part, or partial, or a part of it. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to a what? To an end. Or when that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, verse 11, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away or put aside childish things. Verse 12, and here's where he pulls this metaphor in so good. For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Oh, I forgot to ask. Did anybody bring one? Okay, sorry. Uh, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then what does it say? Face to face. This seems a little strange for us, but it's not strange to them. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Verse 13, this is like the pinnacle of what he's saying. Now these three, now, now it's, it's the time frame. Love never comes to a what? Love never comes to an end. So now these three remain, faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest of these is what? Love, that's a huge statement. My faith is important, but my love is what? More important. My hope of what is coming is important, but my love for that hope is more important. Ooh. Okay, let's go to Jesus' words. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And if you're new, I haven't done anything that I was supposed to do at the beginning of service. I'll circle back around, I promise. Uh, but, but if you're new here, we have this thing called the program on our church website, and you can follow along with my entire outline. Uh, so listen to these words. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest. You ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Anybody ever heard of that? That's an easy way for us to associate the law and what they were talking about. In the Jewish realm, Judaism, the law or the commandments or what was given for them to operate their life by, he, they, they were coming to Jesus saying, hey Jesus, what's most important? That's a good question, right? Teacher, which command is the greatest? He said to them, this is like the words of Jesus. Do you think that's important? It's pretty important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your who? Neighbor as yourself. 
all, that's, that's a pretty big statement, all the law and the prophets, we could say this, the entire Old Testament, that's a lot, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Ooh. Everything hinges on loving God well and loving your neighbor. Because loving your neighbor, here, here's what Jesus is saying, is connected to loving your God. You, you have to process this with me. We have to walk, this is a journey that we're on to understand 1 Corinthians 13 today. Love, Paul, he tees it up in an incredible way and smashes that thing. This thing of love, what it is, is more important than anything. And even in the words of Jesus, when they're trying to catch him, when they're trying to find out what's the greatest commandment, Jesus, here's the greatest commandment, that you love God. And the second is like unto it, that you love your neighbor. Why? Because they go hand in hand. Even in Paul's final exhortation, at the end of the letter, reveal the importance of love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14, we're going to get to this verse in our study. Paul says this, do everything in love. So from our context, from our text right there, 1 Corinthians 13, it is sandwiched with the idea that Paul ends the letter saying, do everything in love. Listen to this, uh, verse 24, 10 verses later, Paul says this, my love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Paul was consumed with this idea of love. Now, this is really good. I like this spot. This, how many of you think like the list of things that Paul spells out what love is and what love is not was interesting? Anybody see that? It's just like he's saying a lot of what we feel like are random things. Here's an excerpt from the commentary that I thought was great. We can see the why behind the different things that Paul said love is not based on the previous content of the letter. Listen to this. The things Paul says love is not, verse thir chapter 13, verses four through seven, if you're looking in your Bibles, are exactly the things the Corinthians are doing. When we look back over the letter, remember all of the sexual immorality and the hierarchical, uh, you know, I'm of Apollos, you're of Peter, you're of Paul, and them talking about their rhetoric. They were really good at bringing the word, but Paul said, you lack the power. Uh, remember the message that I preached that pride is the what? Problem. When we look back over all the things that Paul has addressed, what he does here is he carefully sandwiches all of the issues that he addressed in the letter in this chapter compared to love. What does that mean for us? It means that if we are to look at our lives and compare them with the love that we are supposed to have, nothing stands up against it. Nothing stands up against it. What's the standard? How do I know if I'm doing what's right, Lord? How do, how do I know if, if I'm living my life in the right way? How does it compare to love? How does it compare to love? How does it compare with loving your Lord and loving your neighbor as yourself? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, love does not envy, yet envy and strife are present, chapter three, verse three. Remember, he says, love does not envy. But chapter three, verse three says that they were envious people. Love is not arrogant or puffed up, yet the Corinthians are boasting in men, chapter four, verse six. Puffed up in spite of egregious sin, chapter four, verse 18, chapter five, verse one. 
and revealing uh, and, and reveling, rather, in their knowledge. Chapter 8, verse 1. Love does not act shamefully or rejoice in unrighteousness, yet the Corinthians have tolerated an incestuous man in chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Taken one another to court in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Did we see that? And failed to honor the sanctity of the human body. Chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. Love does not speak the things of oneself, which forms a key part of Paul's argument in chapters 8 through 10 regarding food sacrifice to idols. Remember, preferring one person over another? Both the necessity and permanence of love, chapter 13, 1 through 3, and 8 through 13, are demonstrated in comparison, watch this, with gifts that are especially important to the Corinthians and the focal point of Paul's argument in chapter 12 and chapter 14. They were concerned, watch this, the church of Corinth were concerned with tongues, they were concerned with knowledge, and they were concerned with prophecy. Those were the three things they were concerned. We're a church, we got the Holy Spirit. We're ministering like never before in this place called Las Vegas in the ancient world. We're killing it, Paul. And Paul is like, I don't really care what you think you're doing ministry-wise. I don't actually care if you feel like you're even gifted in the Spirit of God. If you're doing those things without love, you're nothing. Here's a, here's a more, uh, uh, in a way to translate to today's message, like Kevin O'Leary, Shark Tank. Paul's like, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. You, you go ahead and write down all the things that you're good at. And let me explain something to, to you. If you're doing it for your own gain and your own power and your own goodness, you're not, you might as well not be doing anything. Because really, you're hurting the cause, you're not helping the cause. And Paul uses this right in the middle of explaining to them how they're supposed to get gifts in the Spirit, how they're supposed to get a word of knowledge, how they're supposed to get the gifts of tongues, how they're supposed to get the gift of prophecy, the three things that they were really worried about. And Paul basically said, if you got everything you were asking for, it would not be beneficial for the cause of Christ. How many of you are sitting here today thinking that if you got this one thing, you would then do and be a force to be reckoned with for the Lord? If we translate that to this text, the answer is not that one thing you're looking for. It's not. The answer is love. Watch this. Listen to this scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. Remember Paul said this? God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, how soon we forget. Oh, how soon we forget. When we are in the groove and in the moment and we're ministering and we're doing and we're giving and we're volunteering and we're serving, we are so good. We got this thing on lockdown. This is awesome. And Paul is like, um, chapter one, verse nine, the Lord put you in that position? The Lord's faithfulness allows you to even be on the scene. But isn't it difficult? We just, we get our giftings up. We say the right things. We act the right ways. We give some money. We bless some people. And here comes Satan. Satan doesn't want you to do, this is where, this is the misconception about the devil, the enemy, the accuser. Satan doesn't want you to do what he wants you to do. He wants you to do what you want to do. 
doesn't have an agenda. He knows what his end is. It's death. He loses. The battle belongs to you. He knows the devil's got it. He's a loser, capital L. He will go nowhere in eternity, but the bottomless pit. But yet we render our good gifts that the Lord wants to use into his hand when we do them for our benefit instead of the Lord's. Look, before we get into chapter 14 and we talk about prophecy and knowledge and tongues and all these things and healing that we need in the church, we gotta first establish the fact that they are not the gift in and of themselves. They are a part of God's plan, not your plan. God help if the devil causes growth in our church because we begin to do things in and of ourselves and not a part of the kingdom of God. That's a worry of mine. It's a constant tension that we hold. Sarah and I talk about it often. Yet good things are happening, but, but is it the Lord? Because if we do good things that we want to do in our power, Satan could be behind, be behind that all day. All day. There's a few key things that Paul is doing. And we can't miss it, but we first have to understand that we are all in the position that we are in because of the marvelous grace of God. We will remain in this place last week. Remember the location of the Holy Spirit, baptized on location into the body of Christ. We will remain in this place or location, or we will compromise the eternal for the temporal effect of our own desires. Look, you can take yourself out of the game. You can be in the church, but not in the church. And that's a problem. This church they were consumed with the gifts and how the gifts made them feel, and they missed the point. Chapter two, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter three, verse 18, Paul, same author, follow me as we begin walking through and, and getting to the, the point of this message. It's gonna hit hard, I'm, I'm just letting you know. When we get to the end of chapter 13 and the illustration of the mirror, why it's there, and we unpack that, I pray that it is meaningful for you and it's meaningful in your heart I pray that we all, the Lord, will lead us to this place together and that we will all surrender our will to the Lord's. But in order to do that, you gotta follow me here, all right, you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul is gonna say this. We all, with unveiled faces, this is the same kind of language at the end of the chapter. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the capital S Spirit. Paul is using the same illustration in chapter three of the next book that we are all looking as in a mirror. Does that sound familiar? Chapter 13 in our text today, verses 12 and 13, listen to this. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. So now and then. Do you see that, that language, the time? Now we are looking into a what? A mirror. What are we looking into? A mirror. What are we looking into? Here's a way for us to, I don't have a mirror up here, but a way for us to do this now. Everybody do something crazy. Ready? Here we go. Took a selfie in church. I'm looking at, man, look at this ugly guy. Here, let's get it on the lock screen. Yeah, that's much better. Okay, anyway. 
<laughs> Look, I'm in, this is like a mirror. You guys see my mirror? I'm looking at myself. This is so applicable for 2021. We got a bunch of people just looking in mirrors. Look where I'm at, y'all. Look right there, that's me in this picture. Woo! Yeah! Anybody know anybody like that? Anyway. <laughs> I'm dying up here. <laughs> Look, we are living a selfie. And in my mind, we talk about this often because Sarah and I are not big social media people. What we do is because we have to do it in our position and in our context. Other people are like, you should do that. And we're like, okay, we'll obey. But we hate social media. In my mind, I'm like, if you actually were enjoying that place in that moment, you would be in that moment and in that place. But really, we're not there for that moment. We're there for this moment. There's a difference in showing something as a reflection and experiencing something for what it is. Uh-huh. Now you get where we're going with this, don't you? But it's way better than I even thought. You ready? Why is the greatest of these love, what is the purpose for the mirror analogy? What is the purpose? Here it is. Metaphors of mirrors were widespread in the ancient world. Consider the superstition that could go with that. You watch a creepy movie with Nikki, because that's, is she here? Anyway, Nikki's all about creepy movies. She like keeps me up on horror movies ever since she was, I mean, I mean literally ever since she was a little kid, she loves them, right? But we always talk about scary movies and do you think you could handle this, Pastor Matt? I'm like, no, I don't think I could handle it. But there's always like, how many know that there's like mirrors and stuff in creepy houses? All the time. The reflections, those things that are right there that are coming back at you. But th this is an ancient thing. This has been around a long time, this practice of mirrors and them being involved in certain things. I'm not preaching against horror movies. Nikki can watch as many horror movies as she wants. It doesn't matter. The point is, is metaphors of mirrors were widespread in the ancient world. Watch this. I, I found, found this so interesting. Corinth, in particular, was a place where bronze mirrors were made. And the illustration would have carried significant weight. Bronze mirrors, they came from Corinth. It would have, everything's now made in China, but it would have been bronze mirror made in Corinth, right? That's how, if you would have flipped it over and looked at the sticker. Anyway, it would, <laughs> it would have been made in Corinth, bronze mirror. Looking into a mirror, watch this, is a substitute for incomplete knowledge. The understanding of looking into a mirror is a substitute for incomplete knowledge. One would converse with themselves in a mirror, at which point they were merely thinking and pondering about what they already knew. If someone had a face-to-face -face conversation with someone, then they would be fully aware and or fully known. There is no substitute for a face-to-face -face conversation. When I get up in the morning and I go to the bathroom and I stand in front of the mirror, I'm only contemplating what I have. I'm only using what is on site. But when I meet someone and I have a conversation, which, you know, just pause whatever I'm saying right now, that's what we need to be doing more of. God help if we would do more one-on-one -on -one conversation at a restaurant or open up our doors or our houses, we would be able to get along with people that we disagree. 
Why? Because we need each other. I need expression. I need you to feel and understand what I'm saying, but that doesn't happen behind a doggone screen. When you hide behind 100 and however many characters Twitter is, I'm sorry you wouldn't tweet that at their face. A face-to-face conversation is the way the world is built, but yet we have reverted to living in mirrors. We live in mirrors. We live in selfies. We live in our own iPhone world. And this translated back then, 2,000 years ago. The mirror metaphor was, I'm gonna look at myself in a mirror and I'm gonna work this thing out. You only have what you have in that moment. You only have what's in that brain to talk through. And yes, there's value in that, but there's infinitely more value to you having a face-to-face with someone else that can speak into you. But wait, there's what? There's more. (laughs) Numbers chapter 12, verses six through eight. I I submit to you this morning that Paul is pulling from an Old Testament reference right here in this passage. How How many of you have recognized that he does that a lot? Paul was very familiar with the Greek version of the Old Testament. And here's what Paul is pulling from. When he said, in this moment, love is the greatest, he knows that Jesus said the greatest what? Commandment, you can hang all the law and what? Prophets on that one thing. Love God and love your neighbor. All of this fits together, it's incredible. Where does it fit together? There was a man in the Old Testament that to him would have been the greatest prophet. That to him, to Paul, to the the Jewish culture and the Jewish community in that church, there was one man that did things differently. One man that his body was hidden for a reason in the Old Testament because his body would have been worshipped because he was the man, the leader, the one that brought them out of bondage, the one, the front man, if you will, that got him out of Egypt and headed to the promised land. Who was that man? Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse six through eight, listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Listen to this. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of God. Whoa, 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 if one's not enough, listen to this. Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. The Lord would speak with Moses face to face. Just as a man speaks with his friend, then Moses would return to the camp. His assistant, the young man Joshua, the son of Nun, would not leave. Would not leave the inside of the tent. During the days of the law and the prophets, everything that you can hinge this on, everything that you can hinge this one word love on, all of it, the law and prophets, during that day there was one man. The Lord would speak to other prophets in dreams and visions, but it was said of Moses that he would speak with him directly. Moses was a friend of God. Here's what we could say. Moses was fully known, fully exposed to God. Paul is using this analogy to say this. Our spiritual gifts and our relationship with the Lord is like looking into a mirror, but love is something of a transcendent value. Faith will be made sight. Hope will reach its destination. Love can be done now and forever. Love is transcendent. What are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. We have faith. 
What is that? A trust. It is a loyalty that we declare to Jesus, and one day Jesus will come back. Faith will not be needed in the future. Hope is an earnest expectation that I have in the second coming of Jesus, and one day my hope will be made what? Sight, faith, and hope. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, but the greatest, the greatest of these, what Paul is saying is, do you understand that when the Spirit of God comes and indwells you, you have an opportunity to have a face-to-face conversation in the Old Covenant. Prophets would only receive a dream, would only receive a vision, would only receive the Lord vicariously through another agent, looking into a what? A mirror, but there was one, and his name was Moses. And the Lord dealt with him directly. Paul is saying, when you love God, when you are more concerned with how you love than what you do, you're looking at God face to face and not in a reflection. That's what this means. Every Jew in that crowd would have gone, Moses. Moses was the only one who, the Lord dealt with him differently. There was something about him. He was called a friend of God. And Paul is looking at this church going, that's the design of the church, that we all can be called a friend of God. We're not looking for our gifting to show God, God has given you everything when he gave you himself. Now now watch, yes you have faith and yes you have hope, but when you love God now, it is the only thing that you can do that you can do what? In eternity. I feel like we're doing the wrong things that contribute to our eternity. We busy and we hurry and we fill our lives full of things that will end here and now. And Paul is saying if we do this thing right, you're gonna build a relationship for all eternity. My gosh. When we give out of love, we contribute to our eternity. When we love people well, when we give the gift of prophecy and the gift of knowledge, and we do it in love, and we know that it's a part of the place and the position that the Lord has put us in, we are being fully known. We are operating in an incredible way, something that will live on forever. Dear friends, this is 1 John. Something just happened with that guy. There we go, sorry. Just listen, open your ears. You ready for this one? 1 John 4, 7 through chapter five, verse four. Listen to this, okay? Nothing like scripture to speak to this. Dear friends, let us love one another. Everything in the context of what I just said, okay? Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we may live through him. That was the Lord revealing himself to us through what? Love. Through what? Through what? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not be He revealed himself through what? 
That's the way. Love consists, verse 10, in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Paul said, chapter one, verse nine, this didn't originate with you. The Lord marvelously, through his grace, put you into the church. This is not that we loved God, but that he what? Get it right, get it straight, dear friends. We also must love one another. Verse 12, no one has ever seen, doggone it, I just closed my outline. <laughs> ah, get behind me, Satan. We're getting through this one one way or another. No one, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. I find that so interesting that John dropped that in there, especially considering Paul's allusion to Numbers chapter 12. Remember that story of Moses. No man has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. Now we know in part, but then we will know and be fully what? Known. The New Testament authors, just in case you're wondering, they're on the same page about this. They're all on the same page. Verse 13, this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. That's literally where we're talking about this over in 1 Corinthians. They're literally agreeing. We know this by the Spirit. We're gonna get into the gifts of the Spirit and how it works and operates, and we're gonna be like, yeah, we're in this thing. We know. But the bedrock foundation of it should be love, not the gifts that come out of the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. Verse 14, and we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son into the world's uh, as Savior, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him, and he in God. We just learned that from Romans chapter eight last week, verse 16. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. There's so much doctrine here. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Let me say that again. As he is, so are we in this world. That's so vitally important. And what, what also I see here is that there's confidence in the day of judgment. Let me ask you something. How many of you truly, and I mean this like in the purest sense of the word, how many have confidence for the coming world? A few of you. But like, in those moments where you're just by yourself, when you're looking in a mirror, how many of you think, is this all there is to it? Is, the, Lord, do you have me in the next life? Lord, is, are, you, are you gonna save me? John is speaking to this thing of confidence in the next day, in the day of the Lord. Verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother and sister, he's a liar. We find what causes the lack of confidence right here in the text. Oh, I love the Lord. Maybe I fixed it. Oh, I love the Lord. Me and him, we've got this. but then you're trashing everybody else. You don't get along with anybody in your family. You're way or the highway. If you love the Lord, but you hate your brother and sister, those are the people in the church. You're a liar. That's tough, that's tough wording. But some of us, look, we're not too far. 
We, now we know in part. Let's figure this thing out. Let's figure, what it, let's figure it out what it's like to look at the Lord face to face and discover love in our lives, like a genuine love where we really do love our brother and sister and we're not duplicit. Look, why do I believe there's hope for Christians that struggle with this? Because Paul wrote the letter to the church. You're not alone. We all struggle with it. We all have moments where we're like, oh, I do not like that person. Oh, my goodness gracious. Try being the pastor where you actually have to like everyone. <laughs> my gosh. Look, you get to go your separate ways. I get the phone calls and the text messages, okay? Like, woo! It could be a lot worse, promise you. But we actually have to like bring our hearts and our minds in alignment with the Lord and we have to say, no Lord, no matter what, we love them. We love them. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> I'd love them so much better if they went to another church. Oh, so much better. But I'm just gonna keep trying. Oh. <laughs> My goodness, I gotta finish. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> Lunch is on the stove. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. She's a liar. For that person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he, whom he, has, oh, whom he has seen, I forgot how good this was, cannot love God whom he has not seen. God is saying this. If you can't figure it out on the mirror level, you could never handle it on the face-to-face -face level. You think it's so hard to love people that are different than you. What about a God, an all-knowing God who peers into your soul and actually knows what you're thinking and feeling? Oh, you ain't ready for the big leagues. If your relationship with the Lord is struggling like this, you're not ready for this. But what I find so interesting is all the Christians who say, I'm so good here, I just can't get down with this. According to scripture, you're a what? Man, whoo. That's rough. That's rough. Y'all think you're ready for the face-to-face -face stuff. I don't think so. Everyone, chapter five, verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is, is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. The authors continue to drive home the Trinity. There's a reason. There's a reason. Everyone, I'm gonna give you this doctrine, I'm gonna load you up and then I'm gonna send you out, okay? I need you to real quick, put your thinking caps on. Because what I'm about to say is like, it's some wild stuff, but I, I need you to grasp it. I need you to grab hold of it. Maybe some of you, what I'm gonna say, you're gonna understand this much of it today and you need another 20 years in your Christian walk to, to ponder on what I'm about to say. It's okay, that's okay. But get some of it. Here's what I'm about to say. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father also loves one born of him. And he, he's already said this is by his spirit. This is how we know we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what the love of God is, to keep his commands. And the commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. That's what we sang about this morning. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Tim Keller says this, if God is unipersonal, 
then before creation, in other words, if God was one person, he existed before creation as a powerful force that ultimately viewed control as his purpose. We have to understand in context, why do the authors keep pushing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? In the, how many see it in chapter 13? We've seen it hard in chapter 12. We see it here in 1 John. Why? Because if God was unipersonal, one person, before all of this thing got started, how many know God has always been? God has never been created. How many know that? Never been created, always was, always will be. If before all of this got started and God was unipersonal, then what's the point if he was one person? The point would be control, command, authoritarian, one person ruling over what? Everything, if he's one person. But if God is not unipersonal, but if God is uh, tripersonal, then before creation, he existed as a God that had a relationship with love as his purpose. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before we ever got on the scene, before we ever were created, if our God, he's operating now in our lives in creation as, as the church, the whole body, and Paul's already said, we all are a part of something. Why is that? John spells it out perfectly. If we're born of God in God's love, God is love because God has been love before any of this existed because God is tri-personal. He is someone that worships himself and loves each other in the unit of God as three parts, three persons. If God is the Trinity, then God's point before we got here was love. A God that is unipersonal, his point cannot be love because he is only one person. But we see in the very nature of God that he existed in three parts, which means he existed to love from the very beginning. We are now, what does this mean? The church is a community. This has never been about one person. Even in the mystery of God, being one, but yet what? Three, that's the mystery. The mystery, the revelation becomes sight when we come face to face that this is about community. This is about the Lord bringing in sons and daughters into a family. Jesus was the son, now we are brothers and sisters with the son. And we will then be in the community of what? Love. Love is the only thing that we can do now that we'll be able to do billions of years from now. It is not your faith, it is not your hope. Those were the initiator. But now that we're in, we can experience relationship like never before. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it and God has appointed these in the church. When we grow spiritually, we are engaging in everyday life with an eternal purpose. If I may, when we engage in spiritual gifts for the right reasons, we are looking at our God face to face. Love is face to face interaction with the Holy Spirit. Love does whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do in those face to face encounters. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.